0: Well, good morning, church. After that blasting of singing, I got a good morning. Good morning, church. Maybe it was me. You know, maybe it was me. I was like, good morning, church. Well, I'm glad you're here to worship. Uh, during the next few weeks, we're encouraging you to spend time preparing for Easter. We said just as you would prepare for Christmas Day, you would prepare for Easter, Resurrection Day. So we're looking at the... the uh, Lenten season and what is that all about? And so to help you out and help us out because it's sort of new for a lot of us, this is a very focused time. It is a time where of confession and repentance, and it's like God, I'm 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 opening up everything here. Take it all. I'm so sorry. And it's the searching of our hearts. It is a time where we meditate on what. Christ did on the cross for us, what God did in sacrificing his son. It is a time we look deeper into his word. And it is a time where we experience hope, the hope that we just sang about, a living hope of the resurrection. So during this time, um, I just pray that you are taking a little bit more time each day, each week to just sort of set aside and say, I want to know more. I want to learn more. I want to grow more. And today, the message is really simple. If I could just sort of sum it up here in a couple sentences. Here's, here's what I hope. By the, by the end, we walk out of here. I hope and pray that you just have a clear understanding of what God has done for you. I want you to know that. I want you to be able to meditate and focus on what he did for you that directly changed your life. How are you different today because of who God is and what his son Jesus Christ did on that cross and through the resurrection. And, and when you've, hopefully at the end, when you maybe sit there and say, ah, that's what he did. When we go to worship and song again at the end, maybe that will kick in a little bit more as we sing. I know it did for me during first service. And, and again, it's, it's not just what, it's not one of those things where it's like, I think I mentioned this before, when somebody gives you a gift, you say, Thank you. Yeah, it's really simple, right? But it's more than just like, hey, thank you, God. It's deeper. It's more. And that's what I'm hoping and praying we get out of here today. When we leave, it's like, yeah, wow, he did that for me. This is, this is who I am in Christ and is my position with him. Uh, last week, we started off that basically this all begins with confession. It all starts with an understanding that we have committed crimes against the holy God. That our sins should drive us to a point of mourning and sorrow and weeping. We must get to the point where we see sin and darkness as disgusting and gross. And I can't believe that I made that choice and it's painful to God and I want to confess it to God. That's sort of where we were at last week. And we can't fully appreciate, as I said, being rescued until you understand The peril that we were in. The struggle that we were facing because of our rebellion. So we are sinners. We are guilty of criminal actions against the Holy God. But when God looks at us, He sees sin. And He has to turn away. You're probably familiar. I know some of you have memorized this verse. Romans 6, 23. At the wages of sin is death. Maybe you remember this verse. We deserve Eternal death in hell. That, that's what we deserve. Scripture tells us that. And I, you know, I think about this. I don't think a lot of us understand what hell is. Some of us have maybe used that word in a way we shouldn't use it. I've heard it used so often in the last few weeks in uh, political uh, theaters, so to say, and, and talking about how we're going to fight. And it's like, do you understand that word? Do you understand that hell is the home of those who have been condemned? It's a place that holds the father of lies, Satan. It is filled with those who have been defeated by the king of kings. It is not to be taken lightly. We look in scripture, there's a couple of passages. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 says, "...for God did not even spare the angels who sinned. He threw them into hell, the gloomy pits of darkness." where they are being held until the day of judgment. Luke twelve five. Jesus said, But I tell you whom to fear, fear God, who has the power to kill you and throw you into hell. Yes, he's the one to fear. When I look at the scripture, I think about this. Hell is a real place and it should not be spoken of lightly. But then I think about, what about heaven? Oh, we could talk about heaven all day long, couldn't we? Sermons upon sermons, books upon books. They talk about hell, about, that glory, or about heaven, that glorious place. When you think about this, I have no idea what heaven looks like, but I've seen it described through Scripture. It's an amazing. And, I, and again, I don't know what it's like, but I know who resides there. God resides in heaven. God is love. And if God is love and God is powerful, then heaven is permeated and saturated with His glory and with His love and with His presence. Heaven is mightier than hell. Hell can't separate us from God. Hell can't beat God. Did you know that? One of my favorite scriptures out of Romans chapter 8 says this, I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Isn't that good to know that God is victorious? Isn't that good? What it's, scriptures reminds us of God's love, we have been rescued from hell so that we can join the rescue party. We've been saved. So we take the good news to others. That is it's so good to know. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. You can grab your Bibles, open up to Romans chapter 5. We're going to start right off in verse 1. As I said, this begins with confession, which we talked about last week. But then after we confess our sins, let's let's move forward in this. Our faith in Jesus Christ changes God's view of us. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Churches like this. You place, I place, we place our faith in Jesus Christ. He steps into our lives. He steps right between us and God, so to say. See, when God looks at us, he sees sin he sees the unholiness, but when Jesus, who died, who became sin, who died for us, Jesus steps in between us and God. And when God looks at us, he sees Jesus. His actions of love, his actions of sacrifice, saves us. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 says this. It says, If anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. See, we have an advocate. We have a defense attorney. We have this lawyer who steps up before the judge and says, no, 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 not guilty because of what I did. I will take the, I'll take the, the punishment for what they deserve. Jesus stands between us and God and pleads our case. And he brings us into a, a place, a position in which we don't deserve. We don't deserve that, do we? But Jesus steps in there for us. Now we look forward to sharing God's glory thanks to Jesus. What an incredible reminder of God's grace through Jesus. And and the thing is, we can't do that on our own. There's no way. Look at Romans chapter 5, continuing verse 6. It says this, When we were utterly helpless, think about that, Utterly helpless. Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. We were utterly helpless. We couldn't save ourselves. Have you ever seen a drowning man out in the middle of the ocean, and, he, and he's he's going he's going to die, and then he saves himself. He throws himself a life preserver. Hey, I just saved my. No, you you had no life preserver. You couldn't save yourself. Or somebody. Passes out, they're, 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 they're not breathing, and all of a sudden they start doing CPR on themselves. Did you ever see that? No. See, the whole point is that's all ridiculous. It can't be done. We can't save ourselves. I can't throw myself a life preserver. I can't do CPR on myself. I can't save myself. Spiritually speaking, we can't save ourselves. When we were utterly helpless, the word says. Look what Romans 5, 8, 9 goes on to say. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners, while we were utterly helpless. And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. We are utterly helpless. God saves us through his son, Jesus Christ. He steps in and we're saved from that condemnation from being condemned and amid our mistakes, committing these spiritual crimes and sinning, God shows his great love for us by sending Jesus to die for us. The same God who's going to judge our sins wants to rescue us from our sins. He doesn't want us to perish. He doesn't want us to go to hell. If you've heard people say, and I know I've heard people say it, God sends people to hell. God's not a very loving God. No, you're all wrong. That's not the God of the Bible that we worship. God is a loving God, yes, God's a holy God and a just God, but we know in the New Testament it says that God doesn't want anyone to perish. He doesn't want anybody to go to hell. He wants to rescue us. yeah, we deserve it. We should be condemned, but He rescues us. Let me give you a different picture. Imagine being at the at the fair, okay you're at the fair, you're walking down midway where all the carnival games are, right? And you get to the balloon game. Y'all know that balloon game? You get the dart, you throw the dart, to pop the balloon, you win a prize. But you gotta pay for it first. There's always a price, there's always a cost. So you show out the money, they give you the dart, you throw the dart at the balloon, you're like, this is gonna be a piece of cake, right? But you throw it and you miss. You miss the mark. It's called sin. Remember sin is, the definition of sin is missing the mark, okay? And the, I almost said the carny, the carnival worker, He's um, standing back there, and he pulls the lever. He's like, and all of a sudden, the ground beneath you opens up, and all you see is, is a fiery lake in the hell, okay? And you're just going to drop straight down because you missed the mark. See, so your sin, you're, that just one sin is all it takes to make you unholy with God. I missed the balloon. I missed my mark. My consequence, didn't win the stuffed animal. Now I got hell. And as you start to drop, somebody grabs you, and you're like, save me, save me. I'm sorry I missed. And you're like, I know you didn't mean to miss, and I forgive you. And they lifts us up and saves us from dropping out. Now, I know that's a. some of you are probably like, I'm not going to the fair ever again, okay? That doesn't really happen, but spiritually speaking, that's. I'm trying to give you a picture here of what that's like, what we deserve, and how... We're rescued. First John 1 9 says, If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. There's another verse, Psalm 103, verse 2. It says, He has removed our, or 103, verse 12, He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. You know there's a north pole and there's a south pole, so you know when you get there, right? Do you, you know there's no east pole or west pole? It just sort of keeps going. And I love that scripture says, as far as the east is from the west, he's removed our sins. You know, that means it's eternal. It keeps on going. There's no ending point. He continually forgives us. We deserve hell, but God's act of love and mercy and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ at the cross, the blood of Jesus, that's what saves us. Not only are we saved, we're, we're reconciled to God. I put this picture up uh, earlier this week on social media, and I saw this, and I love this picture because this is what I'm talking about right now. Jesus rescues us, he grabs us, he saves us from what we deserve as he's connected to God, because he is God. And he reconciles our relationship, he restores our relationship with God. This is what he did for us. And as promised, in that moment we're given the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. We talked about that last week. The Holy Spirit, our Counselor, our Advocate, our Savior... And the Spirit now walks beside us. He resides with us. And when Jesus finishes work on earth, what did he do? He promises, one, I'm going to give you my Spirit, right? And he's going to remind you of eternity, what you get next. One, I saved you. Two, I restored your relationship with God, our Heavenly Father. And three, I'm giving you an eternal home in heaven. That's what we get to look forward to, church. John fourteen three says this. When everything is ready, this is Jesus speaking, I will come and get you so that you'll always be with me where I am. Acts 1, 11, Jesus uh, ascends into the clouds and, and all the disciples are standing there looking up in the air like, where'd Jesus go? And a couple angels appear and they say to him, they say, just as he's been taken from you into heaven, someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. He's coming back for you. A scripture that I often read at funerals to give hope to those who have passed away, who, you like, give you an example. Uh, we just had a memorial service for, for Betty May on Friday. This would be scripture we would read because she is in God's presence, and I know we're like, oh man, you know, I'm, I'm missing this person. Listen to the scripture First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 17. Now, dear brothers and sisters, We want you to know what's going to happen to the believers who have died so you're not grieved like people who have no hope. See, we have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring him with the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive will remain on earth, will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we'll be with the Lord forever. Jesus is coming back. Jesus will return. And this should be encouraging for us as Christians. Part of what we've been saying is, I want you to know what God did for you and me. He hears our confessions. He forgives us. He rescues us. He saves us. We have a new, you know, He stands between us and God. Now God sees us differently. And He gives us eternal life in heaven. This is all good news, right? Right? And as I shared Friday at Betty May's uh, memorial, here's the thing. She was ready. She was ready. I would go visit her on occasion, and she would, she would tell me, like, you know, I, I get up every morning, I get my hair done, I put my makeup on, and I dress up really nice. Sometimes I'll put on a dress just to take the garbage out to the curb. And, you know, if you know Betty, like you can sort of imagine her saying this. And the reason she did that, you know, we're like, why would you do that? She goes, I might run into Frank Sinatra. Okay, now some of you thinking, was she losing it? No, she knows Frank Sinatra's dead. It wasn't around, or was never going to come near her. She knew all that. Okay, point was, she really liked Frank Sinatra. And boy, if he shows up, I want to be looking good for him. Okay, and I love that about Betty. She's like, I want to be ready. And then I thought about this: Are you ready? Are you spiritually ready for when Christ returns? Is your name written in the book of life? Oh, that's another thing. Book of life. Uh, In your Bibles, turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 20. Revelation, chapter 20. As you're turning there, let me ask you this question. You know, I I think I already know the answer to this, but we all want to be known, don't we? We want to be loved, we want to be accepted, but we also want to be known. We want people to know us. We want to be able to walk into a room and people are like, hey, and they call you by your first name, right? Maybe you want to walk into a, a program and you get your name called from the front and you get to go up and they called out your name. Or maybe you want to walk into a gym and you want, to, you want to see your name somewhere on a plaque or on a wall for a record or something like that. We all, we all want our name written somewhere. We all want our name pronounced somewhere, right? It's, we want to be known. And maybe it's not just on a plaque or a gym wall. Maybe in a, maybe in a publication. And I'm not talking about the yearbook. you know. We all hope to get in the yearbook. Right? But maybe more like a newspaper article. About 16 years ago, I, I'd uh, resigned from my position as a youth pastor. I was a youth pastor like 15 years and a high school coach. And, and I resigned from my position. And for some reason, somebody in this in this town here said, Wow, that's a long time. And, and you know, you need to be recognized. And so we're going to do an article you on you on the newspaper. So the local newspaper's like, Rex, we'd like to do an article on you. And we're going to put it on the front page. It's like, whoa. You know, big head, right? Okay, a little pride starting to swell like, I'm going to be front page material. All right. Because why? Because we all like to see our name up there, right? Check out the article. Front page. He doesn't know where he's going. Isn't that awesome? Hey, Pastor Clueless is resigning. We don't know what he's doing next, but I'm taking that down. That's embarrassing. Anyway, it's like, well, yep, I got my name in the paper. There we go. But it's okay. Redeeming factor. I got my name in the book. Right here. My name's in here. Who's who among students in American universities and colleges, 1989? Yes, sirree. Looked under stump. There's a couple of them in there. And there's my name and all my descriptionary thing. And I was thinking, yeah. But then I thought, I'm going to look up some of my college classmates. They're like, oh, they didn't get in. I did. Uh, let's, see. let's see if Woody's in here. Oh, yeah, he made it. All right, good for him. Okay. And what about Brian? Nope. Uh-huh. And then I discovered... I think my mom and dad helped me out on this one. See, they they write you this letter, say, hey, you can have your name in here and get the book. Here's the thing. If you pay for it, they put your information in. If you don't pay for it, they don't put your information in there. There's a lot of us who fell prey to let's pay for it, right? But I got in the book, so I'm excited, yeah. There was a cost to get into that book, right? Somebody had to pay something, right? Somebody had to pay something for us to get in the book of life. Christ paid that price so that our names could be written in God's book. Look in Scripture with me, Revelation chapter 20. Because as a Christian, see, I've placed my faith in Christ. You've placed your faith in Christ. I've confessed my sins to the Holy God. He has forgiven me. We have new life in Christ. And now our names are written in the book of life. We're in God's book. I'm telling you, that's better than a newspaper, right? Uh, A little less clueless. We have a lot more clues on this one. And we're better than being in a book or any other plaque or award, whatever. It's just awesome. Revelation 20, let's look at verse 11. I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and sky fled from its presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. The books were open, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they'd done and as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead death and the grave gave up their dead. Listen to this. And all were judged according to their deeds. All of them. See, there was this thought in ancient, in ancient history, burial mattered. You got to bury people. Otherwise, afterlife could not happen. So if you died out at sea, Ooh, you're probably just floating around somewhere. You'll never make it into the afterlife. That was their thinking. So what's interesting is that when he wrote this, he said, even those who are at sea, all will stand before God. Let's clarify this. Not just those that were buried. Anybody who's ever died, we will stand before God. There's a judgment according to whether we have or have not placed our faith in Christ. There is that judgment. Jesus said in John 5, 24, I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death to life. So there's a a first judgment of, of believing in Jesus Christ or not. God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin. And that's why Paul says there's no condemnation, there's no judgment for those who are in Christ. It's our faith in Jesus, not our works, that gets us into heaven. But before we begin with eternal living in God's presence, there's another judgment, which we just read about in Revelation. All humanity, dead and living, will stand before God's throne. There's also a judgment of what we've done. Our deeds, good or bad. That will be revealed as well. But look at verse 15. Verse 15 says, And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Now that refers to that first judgment I was talking about of placing our faith in Jesus. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, your name is in the book of life. You don't have to worry about hell. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then you should be worried. The Apostle Paul references the book of life and different believers. He, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 3, he talks about a couple of his co-workers. Their names are written in the book of life. Revelation chapter 21, it says the new heaven and new earth are going to be described here in New Jerusalem. He says, I saw a new heaven, new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from out of coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need for sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is its light. Verse 24. The nations will walk in its light, and the kings of the world will enter the city all in their glory. Verse 25 goes on to say, Its gates will never be closed at the end of the day because there's no night there. And all the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty. Listen to this. But only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Church, we have an eternal destination. Heaven and hell. You don't decide when you die. You get to decide now. It isn't like in the cartoons or or the... Hollywood productions where it's like, oh, I die, and then you're floating around like, oh, now I get to decide what I'm going to do. Too late. We get to make our choice before that. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, your name goes in the book of life. Your destination has been sealed. And that's good news. Are you seeing why we come to worship? (laughs) Do you understand why we come in here on Sundays and sing? We have our sins forgiven by a holy God. We have a Savior who stepped in to rescue us and restore a relationship with God. We have an eternal destiny in heaven, and our names are in the book of life. Oh, I think that's more than just a, oh, thank you, God. No, that's a, wow, I need to sing to him. I need to pray to him. I need need to live for him. He died for me. Shouldn't I live for him? I mean as a citizen of heaven, I mean how should I behave? And I think the answer is I think I need to behave in a way that honors him. I think I need to let people know by the way I live that I know where I'm going. If if I was packing to go to Florida, you would know. You look at my suitcase, you see the smile on my face, you notice I'm not wearing a coat to the airport. He must be going somewhere where it's uh, better, better weather, right? Yeah. What's it, that's a snorkel sticking out of there, out of the suitcase? Swimsuit? You aren't going out west or north, are you? No, no, no. I'm going to Florida. You can tell by the way I'm packing, by the way I'm smiling right now, you should know that I've got a good destination ahead of me. As a Christian, shouldn't that be the same way? Shouldn't people recognize by how we live, how we smile, how we present ourselves, by the fruits of the Spirit, We've got an eternal destiny in heaven. It should be obvious, right? Sometimes as a Christian, like, but I'm not sure if I know how to live. That's why we have God's Word, that's why we we have a conscience, and God speaks to our conscience. Romans chapter 2, verse 15 says this They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience. And thoughts either accuse them or tell them what they're doing right. It's like God gives us a conscience. It's like a warning that goes off and says, no, don't do that. No, you should do that. Right? Here at the church, we have an alarm system for the sprinkler and suppression system here. So, like, if, if that alarm goes off, either we have a fire or there's a malfunction somewhere. Now, I got a bunch of good news and bad news. The good news is it works. Okay? Um, the bad news is, like, when the alarm goes off, it's usually between 1 and 3 a.m. in the morning. Okay? Uh, The bad news is, is that I get a phone call, okay, at that time. But the good news is there's no fire, okay? But the bad news is there seems to be a disconnect between the internet system and the alarm system, which causes that. So something's clouding up the alarm system, and so it's not functioning properly. That's the way sin works. Sin cloudies up our conscience, and we aren't able to think clearly, and the alarms aren't going off like they should go off, because sin has messed it up. You know what was amazing is that actually this week, when I was working on this sermon, um, the alarm company actually showed up unannounced. They come once a year, and it just happened to be this week. Like, you know, it's like, oh, yeah. And I was like, <gasps> were we prepared for this? It started making me think about what I was saying here, right? Hebrews chapter 9, verses 14 to 15 say this Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. Oh, that verse is so loaded of truth. That's at least two sermons, right, Paul? I mean, there's a lot in there. But think about this. The blood of Jesus, his sacrifice cleanses our conscience. It removes the blindness from our mi- our minds. We're in trouble with God. And we are judged and condemned for what, not for what we don't know, but for what we do know and don't do. It's not enough just to know what's right. We have to do what is right. And a lot of times as Christians, we're not listening to what the Holy Spirit is saying. Our conscience says one thing and the Holy Spirit wants to enable us and empower us to do it. But we're like, "Uh, I didn't hear it clearly. It's like we're disconnected. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Isn't that true? Apart from Christ, it is hard to live for him, isn't it? That's why we must stay connected to him. Turn to John chapter 21. I want to conclude with the scripture. Because here's my concern. Over the past six months or so. I feel sometimes as Christians we have got into this quarantine, isolation, COVID-type spiritual field too, where it's like, well, this has been canceled. or We're not doing this anymore. And I sort of feel like we've sort of eased up maybe on how we should be living for Christ. I feel like we are more concerned about what's on our face instead of what's in our hearts. I feel like we're more concerned about, how close are are you and I instead of how close am I to God? All this social distancing and mask, I get it, I understand it, but I feel like we're so much more concerned about all these things than we are about our relationship with God and are we sharing the truth with other people? I feel like God's given us a call, a wake-up call. Let's go, Let's, let's, let's charge forward with our faith. And we're sort of like, yeah, I don't know. That's sort of hard right now. I get it. As I'm here with the church and also with the ministry of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, I can't tell you how many huddles have sort of relaxed in how they do stuff. Well, we, we can only do so much. You, But you can still do something. And we've used COVID as an excuse to stop living in a way that honors Christ. For some of us, it's charged up. For others, we're sort of like, well, I don't know if I can still, you know, shine for Jesus. Yeah, you can shine. In John chapter 21, it's, it's been a few days since the disciples had seen the resurrected Jesus. And they're sort of like, well, we're supposed to start the church and we're supposed to go, you know, do what Christ has called us to do. We've been ministering. He's taught us, but he's gone. And um, this is a little scary. And well, he's out of here. So maybe we should just cancel what we're going to do. And hey, let's go fishing. So they get in their fishing boat and they head out. And sometimes living for Jesus is hard. It's just easier just to go do our own thing, isn't it? What feels comfortable? What feels good? Well, they're back in the boat. Oh, this feels comfortable. This feels good. But guess what? They weren't catching anything. They fished all night. They caught nothing. So they have to be a little frustrated that, one, Jesus hasn't been around for a couple of days, so we don't know what we're supposed to do with our life. Two, we went back to something we thought was easy, and we're still not catching anything. Oh, and then some joker on the shore starts yelling at us about 100 yards out from the shore. Check out what happens. John, uh, let's see, chapter 21, verse 3. So they went out. That's I say that right? John chapter 20, yeah, 21. They went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. Verse 4. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, Hey, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, Throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. Oh, okay. Dude up on the shore telling me how to fish. I'm a professional fisherman, even though I've not caught anything all night. Oh, and by the way, he calls us kids. I know scripture here says, hey, fellows. The hey I threw in there. Fellows, you haven't caught anything, right? Other translations, it says brothers. Greek actual word for this is children, immature children. So some translations actually say, hey, children, can you imagine? These are grown men out fishing, and Jesus on the shore and he goes, hey, kids, did you catch anything yet? Oh, that punk's calling us a kid. No, we haven't caught anything. Rub it in, right? They, uh, they decided to throw their nets on the other side. All of a sudden, their nets are full of fish. And all of a sudden, one of the disciples like, oh, deja vu, I remember this. Remember when Jesus told us to, we didn't catch anything on night, and he told us to throw our nets on the other side, and we caught it? It's Jesus, Peter, jumps out of the boat, swims 100 yards into shore while everybody else is trying to pull the fish in and then row in, right? And when I look at this lesson, I don't think this is this, that story is about a lesson on fishing. I think it's a wake-up call. I think these disciples have forgotten who they were. I think they've forgotten what they were supposed to do. I think they forgot what Christ did for them. They weren't acting like leaders. They weren't acting like grown men who were ready to serve the Lord. They were acting like immature kids who just wanted to do their own thing. It was time to grow up. It's time to start doing the hard thing. Come on, disciples, let's go. Get out of that fishing boat. That, that's not what I've prepared you for. Let's go do the hard thing. I know this is going to be tough. Some of you are going to, you're going to die because you're going to talk about me. They'll put you to death. You'll be a martyr. That's not going to be easy. it's the right thing to do. God's rescued you from hell. You know, we talk about it. We read about how God rescued them, how Jesus saved them, right? They saw it. They saw the cross. They saw Jesus on the cross. They saw his body. They saw his resurrected body. We talk about it. We read about it. They saw it. God is so good, isn't he? We have the Holy Spirit with us. Right now, our names are written in the book of life. We have eternal destination in heaven. We have been saved. We have been rescued. We have a new relationship with the God of this universe. Church, we have so much going for us, don't we? So maybe it's time we start doing the hard things again. And I don't know what that's going to be for you. I'll let the Spirit tell you. I'll let your conscience speak to that. Maybe, you know, one of the things about Lent is fasting. Giving up something. And when you fast, it might, if it's food, for instance, you, it's not just skipping a meal or, or dieting. It is, you know what, I'm purposely planning to not eat this meal. And when it's time to eat during that meal, instead I'm going to pray maybe get in God's word during that time. And when your stomach starts to growl, it's like, that's a reminder. Right now, I'm hungry. I need Jesus. That's what fasting is, is about. And there's so much more to that. But of course, you know, you don't just have to fast from food. It could be anything. Complaining, watching the news, addictions, something that leads to temptation, social media, an area of social media, baby steps, whatever it is, take it small. I decided what I was going to do starting last Sunday was I was going to fast from a certain app on my phone. It's like that was, I found myself on a lot. It's like, nope, done with that. All week, shut her off, right? Now this week, I'm going to add another thing. I decided, you know what? I can't tell you do hard things if I'm not doing hard things. So I want to encourage you. Do the hard things. What is it that God's asking you to do? Worship team, would you come up, please? As I said at the beginning of this, my hopes and prayers were out of this message. I wanted you to see what God's done for you. Meditate, focus on what God has done for you and how that directly changes you. God is so good, isn't he? He's rescued you. He has sealed you in his book of life. He has given you an eternal destination in heaven. He has promised you his advocate, his counselor. You're not alone. God is so good, isn't he? Humbly admit that he's good and that you need him. And that you want to do the hard things, but it's hard. Let him whisper back into your ear saying, I'll help you. I'm here with you. Would you stand, please? Your conscience will speak to you. God's spirit will alert you. God's spirit will empower you to do that which he calls you to do. When he calls your name and tells you what to do, you're going to be like those disciples. Some of you are going to be like Peter. You're the first one out of the boat. You're not even waiting for the boat to get into shore. You're right now, you're like, I want to go do it right now. And some of you are like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to haul in the fish and I'm going to get into shore and I'm going to do it. However you decide to do it, do me a favor. Just do it. Just do it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an amazing God you are. Thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you for your love. Thank you that when we confess our sins, You forgive us. You are faithful to forgive us of our sins. And God, not only do you forgive us, it's your son steps between us and you and you see us differently. Thank you for giving us your son and your spirit to be our advocate, and to be our comforter. Thank you that our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Thank you that we have eternity in heaven to look forward to. Thank you for the many blessings you give us. So God, when you ask us to do the hard things to live for you, that really shouldn't be any hesitation on our end. You've given us so much. So God, we want to give back. So God, speak to us right now. Speak to our conscience. Your blood cleanses our consciousness and allows us, Lord, to hear you, to be healed. What is it that you want us to do? How is it that you want us to live? God, help us to do that. We love you, Lord. In my name we pray. Amen.